0: Today's program has been brought to you by Hearst Ranch, the nation's largest single-source supplier of free-range, all-natural, grass-fed, and grass-finished beef. For more information, visit HearstRanch.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more.
1: Chef's Story. This is Dorothy can Hamilton, and today I'm at the International Culinary Center with Clayton Miller, who is um, a food and wine magazine best new chef of 2010. He also was the rising got the rising star chef award from Star Chefs and he was up for Best New Restaurant for uh, uh, Yardbird Southern Bar and Table, Table and Bar.
2: Well, that's a little, little clarification on that one. They, they actually, that's true, but it's funny when you hear, actually, I uh, was up for that award at another restaurant, actually, a oh. restaurant called Trummers on Main in Virginia, but Yardbird also actually got it as well. We kind of did it separately, and now we've come together. So.
1: <laughs> oh, great. Yeah, so it's,
2: tr- it's true. Right? <laughs> well, hello, and welcome. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Oh my
1: gosh, it's great to ha- have you here. I, I, you know, I have to admit, I haven't eaten. Yardbird mm-hmm. but I'm intrigued by it I've read a lot about it so but uh before we get to Yardbird let's let's talk about you okay so here you are southern bar and Table and you're a boy from Pittsburgh
2: yeah born born and raised up north but I, I think I've spent uh definitely enough time in the south to call myself a southern at this point I, I want to say all, but maybe two years of my career has been in the South. There was a stint in New York City for a year, and uh, I spent. Well wait, wait, wait. Let's go. Well, back well to I'll Pittsburgh. come back, but I, I'll, I'll come back, but going to New York for one year and a little time in California, and then the rest has been in the South.
1: In the South, okay. Well, so. we'll get to why you did that, mm. but tell me, tell me about Pittsburgh. Well. What are what are How um, long were you there? Did you go through your uh, high school?
0: And
2: yeah, exactly that. I mean, grew up there until you know I finally left town essentially to go off to college. You know, so my definitely my formative years were, were there. It's great. It's a great town. I mean, small town. Um, it's you know it's definitely changed over the years, but it was. I'm very happy that, to have come from there. And so, what were there. your
1: interests in high
2: school? Uh, like every other typical kid. You know, sports. I, I grew up playing, you know, soccer year round, and soccer. So, yeah, that was from very early age. All in fact, all the way through college. So it it, it consumed most of my my uh, growing up time. And uh, so, like outside of that, I was a fairly you know typical kind of teenager and, and young boy. So.
1: So uh, when you were about eighteen in Pittsburgh, what were you dreaming of? Uh, Other than girls. Yeah, as I say,
2: watch what you ask. Did you really? Uh no I, again like probably a lot of typical you know eighteen year olds there's a lot of things going through your head of because you're no longer all of a sudden you're starting to come to a realization of that you know you're gonna have to fend for yourself soon you know and and you're not gonna be able to you're not gonna be able to uh, rely on mom and dad anymore and and so as we're all you know entering our senior year or finishing up our senior year of high school. Uh, you know, I'm essentially looking around and as everyone is going, oh, I guess I'm going to go get a business degree, right? Isn't that what you're supposed to do and, or, or liberal arts or do something like that? And um, I was lucky enough at that point to kind of um, – I was going off to get a college degree, but I knew enough of what I was interested in to go into hotel and restaurant. Uh, So you knew that
1: then.
2: Yeah, but it wasn't like this huge, like, I mean, I've been asked in the past, like, oh, what took you into cooking and all that stuff? And I hate to say it, I have no romantic story of, you know, cleaning a rabbit when I'm five with my grandfather (laughs) or making gnocchi (laughs) with my grandmother when I'm eight. You know, I really don't. I mean, it was something that I kind of. I got lucky. It's that simple. I, I said, uh, you know, like I said, I kind of went off to school and ah, I kind of think that's what I want to do. Did the college thing, graduated. And then I kind of went It was still even up in the air, kind of like, I don't know, hotels or restaurants, hotels or restaurants. And I guess restaurants kind of, I mean, literally that much. And, uh, and this is literally as all my, my buddies that I grew up with are all going off to law school and they're all going off to get their MBAs and, and what I decided to do, I said, well, I guess if I'm going to be in restaurants, I need to know a little bit about cooking at least, you know. And um, so I decided to go to culinary school. And it's literally that simple. Like, it just stuck. Like, as soon as I went to there, went to start cooking, I never looked back. I mean, it never was a doubt in my mind of what. I, I shouldn't say never. I shouldn't say never a doubt. I mean, there was obviously in any young cook's career you kind of maybe question what you're going because of the the income and the hours and the things like that and all the other friends who went off to be lawyers and go into business that are making tons of money you did look back on things like that when you're younger how much money did
1: you make in your first job out of
2: school i'm trying to remember which one i would have been um out of school i started working for ritz carlton um and Uh, you know I want to say if I recall correctly it was $7.25 an hour
1: what do you think about that? I think a lot of people are put off getting into the profession because of the starting wages being so low Um,
2: I mean I'm not going to glamorize it or anything and and go with the old adage I did it so everyone else should have to do it kind of thing Um, but obviously anyone who has been through it will tell you it definitely toughens you and and weeds out the ones that don't belong um for various reasons you know and and there's good and bad to that I mean I like one and I don't count this bad because I I, you know I I just I'm recently married um in the last year and a half and you know I'm 42 years old so you kind of can figure out what I mean by that so if for my younger part of my adult life um if I would have met the right person back then would have my you know my career path changed because of my income Right. And I saw a lot of my friends that I was in the kitchens with that were, you know, had just as much passion as I did that just... um you know wanted it just as much but all of a sudden they meet the right girl or the right guy or whatever and all of a sudden that right right girl all of a sudden becomes as a you know you become pregnant and then there's kids and there's things and all those things are wonderful things in life absolutely but you saw people kind of that affected their career whether it was because of your income or the hours worked and so on it definitely ate up a lot of talented people that you know had to make the change and do something else in their life which there's nothing wrong with that at all but i definitely saw the way it affected a lot of young cooks. So there's
1: a lot of challenges in being a cook.
2: And, Absolutely. And,
1: and it, with not just learning technique. And
2: no, as, yeah, without you, I tell you I forget about even what kitchen you go into right now, but yeah, that sacrifice you have to put in. Um,
1: How long does that take?
2: Everyone's a little different. Um, yeah, you know, I've seen I've seen some people that don't spend very long you know working in the kitchens as a cook and they jump into you know upper level management positions or they get their own kitchen or whatever and they become successful there's there's those people that are out there there's those people in any any line of work that are very talented uh, they get lucky they get um, you know whatever they're at the right place at the right time and they, they execute on so that happens in all all walks of life but uh, generally speaking to answer the question is, for me, it took over 10 years before I ever stepped up into a, a management/ slash whatever you want to call it chef position. So. Why,
1: do you, why did it take that long? Mm. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? For,
2: I mean, for me, I think it was a good thing. Yeah, for me, it definitely was because I, I can say
1: 10 years preparing.
2: Yeah, I mean, like I said, I didn't set out, you know, 10 years prior and go, you know what, on my 10th year, I'm going to go get that, that, you know, move up in the world of cooking and, and get a job. Um, I think it was just a natural progression and over time, and I, and I definitely remember a couple of clear, distinctive times in my career where I said, matter of fact, when I was moving to New York City, um, that I said, okay, I'm going to do this one more. And, I, you know, meaning I'm going to go and work for one more guy. And I came to New York, and that's actually where I started working for Danielle. Um, and then when I left a year later, um, I went back to my former chef at the time or whatever, and I ended up with an, another opportunity. I'm like, no, you got to, let's do one more. And so... If, well, let you know, me
1: get into that mentality, because, you know, I haven't explored this with many people on this show. Uh, so... You decide on a culinary career, you graduate from culinary school, you get in your first culinary job, the pay is awful, the mm. hours are long. <laughs> um, but a lot of people do it because they, they love it, and the camaraderie of the mm-hmm.
2: kitchen.
1: But, you know, now you start doing your journeyman, you, you go to different kitchens. Um, and you said one year at Danielle one year and I'll do one more What what is that mentality where, where, what it's are you like learning and why is it one year What you know what happens in those middle years two years out of school but before you are Clayton Miller
2: um, I think it's a combination of things um, meaning it's kind of like signing up for a tour you know you, you came back from doing your tour and then you're like okay and, and when you're going through it you're like this is the last one this is the last one and then you finish it and you're like Okay, I can do one more. Re-up. You know, like yeah, I can re up one more kind of thing and because each time you're doing it too, I mean, for as hard as they are and, and you're moving all over the country or or whatever. I mean, hell starting any new job is hard, but when you're moving commuting and you're single, you don't have money and you're moving across the country and you're moving to New York, you're moving to California, you know, it's a stressful thing but still you know you're walking away. What are stronger. you looking
1: for in the new one? What's what's the hook? What is it that when you leave the old one you miss What's what's the lore I think the, of the biggest
2: the the biggest lore of the new one was knowledge. For me, it was
1: so you had to know the chef that you were going to.
2: Yeah, knowledge and I don't know if this is an egotistical side. Just saying that I did it. I mean, just to say it was kind of like an accomplishment. It was one more feather in my cap. One more, uh, you know, kind of. So
1: Danielle and the French Laundry.
2: Yeah. You. You can't
1: get bigger than that.
2: No, and you know what's funny about the French Laundry, and I hate to say this, French Laundry is over 10 years ago now at this point for me. Uh, French Laundry was really the last place I served as a quote-unquote line chef, or line cook, excuse me, and doing the... Work in the meat station or garnish station. Of course, I've worked stations here and there from when a cook calls out or what have you, you know. But but that was really the last place that I was, you know, a line cook. And I've always thought of it because at that point in my career, I had been cooking for I, I don't remember exactly, you know, nine, ten years, whatever. So it wasn't like I was a, a newbie to the business, and I'd been through some really good kitchens at that point. And uh, but you know, French laundry to me always was it was a great. Not that we're ever finished or done, but it was just like a great place to round out a a career or the beginning of a career.
1: I kind of want to explore more of that with you. Um, You you know, you would think you have two three-store Michelin restaurants, Danielle and French Laundry, and all the kitchens are set up with garde manger, you know, Mm -hmm. fish station, meat station, whatever. How, how different are kitchens if you're gonna like re-up and want to get more knowledge is it the chefs uh, menu that you're going there for or the technique or when you, when you say French laundry rounding you out I, I don't understand that. explain it to us who don't
2: well I mean
1: on the inside there
2: well it is any cook that's that's uh, been around the block a few times so absolutely and, and in good places you know that uh, and these days there's more and more good places because there's so many, you know, uh, they, oh, look Look at what you do here. I mean, the, the talent level now is so much bigger than it was 10, 15 years ago. But, um, you know, the difference, absolutely there is. I mean, the way that Danielle cooks a, a sun choke versus the way Thomas does, it's like, I hate to say it, they are there are differences to it. It's not drastically different. You're not going to sit there and be blown away by it and so on. But there's small differences. And then you add two or three other chef's techniques in there. And then all of a sudden out the other side, you know, Clay Miller has squirted out the other side of all of those experiences and then my own ideas um, that I take from the good and the bad. Because believe it or not, there are bad things in some of these places too. I was going to say, how <laughs> you know.
1: how many bad techniques do you pick up or bad habits?
2: How- it's habits probably more than anything else. And, and the, the thing that I struggled with, or not struggle with, one of the things I saw some of the kitchens struggling with throughout my time and it goes without saying again this is nothing really um hard to figure out the larger the kitchen the more difficult the discipline was um you know the the really true cooking um or not true cooking some of the best cooking that i've ever seen in my career was in the smaller kitchens um because you know as i use french laundry kind of as not my finishing school but um but you know I really learned a lot about cooking prior to getting there and I was working for a guy named uh, Joel Antoez in, in uh, Atlanta at the Ritz-Carlton Buckhead. And that guy uh, you know the things I learned from him I and mean, because he was there every day you know and he personally was coming to his first time in America and so he really had a lot to prove. Where was he coming from He was coming from at that time, I think London. I Believe at the time, um, and he had, I think, gotten one or two Michelin star there, and then for something happened, his restaurant closed. But so, and then Ritz Carlton went on and recruited him because the whole real quick backing up is the whole story at, at Ritz Carlton at that back in that day and age, and this is the mid 90s. Um, Gunther Seeger was at uh, I know. uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe not as well as you know.
1: <laughs> I mean, I've I beaten at the Ritz Carlton those days, <laughs> I'll
2: hold my tongue once again. no, I. Gunther is a, a unique individual, and I still, without a doubt, still to this day, he influences my cooking. Uh, I just, there's some other things I, I'll just say without going into it, I disagree with some okay. of his <laughs> style. Anyways, but, and uh, I'm going further than I wanted to on that. Uh, no, so he was there uh, at the Ritz-Carlton. We had just been awarded uh, Ritz-Carlton's first mobile five-star Wow. Uh, you know, award and so Atlanta at that time, uh, meaning the Ritz-Carlton bucket, that was their showpiece. That was their like number one restaurant in the company you know, in the United States. And so like and headquarters was there, it was attached to it. How do I put it? Money was no object essentially. So we were doing some really great things and back then there was only I think there was twelve or thirteen mobile five star restaurants in, in North America. And so it was a very special place to be in. And, and you're one of, at that time, ten cooks in the kitchen. And when he left to go to his own place, uh, I at least and a few of the other guys had at least uh, enough intelligence to say, you know what, we can go with him. Which wouldn't be bad, I'm not saying that, but it was like, or you can stay here, keep your same job that you have right now. And they've got to bring in some heavy hitter. They have to. They don't have any choice you know, it's going to be someone big, you know, that's going to come in here. And, and uh, so they went out and found this guy, new coming to the States. And, and and he kept the five stars this whole time through it. And, and uh, he was, I forget what year he was, James Beer, But in any case, he came to the States and he had something to prove. And he was in the restaurant every day. That was the beauty of working for him. So you're working for this crazy French guy in his late 30s trying to prove to the America that he's the best chef in America and he's pushing the gamut every single day and the menu's changing every single day.
1: We're going to take a short break but I want to come back and revisit um, your journey through the south and this restaurant.
0: Like what you hear so far? Support the network and become a member. Membership helps us bring you the best food radio in the world and gives you access to thousands of dollars in discounts at the sustainably minded businesses that support us. To become a member, visit heritageradionetwork.org today.
2: Hearst Ranch grass fed beef. Pasture raised on 150,000 acres in Central California. Hearst Ranch Grass-Fed Beef, free-range, sustainably produced, humane. Hearst Ranch Grass-Fed Beef, the authentic flavor of the American West.
1: Welcome back. Today um, I'm interviewing Clay Miller, who's the uh, executive chef of Yardbird Southern Bar and Table. And... um, we were just talking about uh, the various kitchens and how they influenced his cooking. But I want to know—I want to know your southern. Uh, as you said, you feel more southern. You may have been born in Pittsburgh. Uh, yeah. Most of your cooking, adult life has been in the south. So let's start with uh, the journey. How did how did you first get down there, and what opened your eyes about southern cooking?
2: Uh, down to Yardbird specifically, or
1: well, we're going to get to Yardbird. Yeah. Like, how did it come to influence? Your menu at Yardbird today but um, I, I want to go the long slow route I uh, want to understand how this simmered along
2: well um so let me let's see so uh after spending some time in Atlanta for uh, gosh I don't know about three four years at that point um and seeing what was going on around in Atlanta and, and at that time Atlanta was really starting to grow a lot of good chefs were starting to, starting to do some things there and so there was a really good culinary vibe in Atlanta Um, but this is kind of where I took a small detour from my southern roots, and this is where, uh, my chef, uh, was able to secure me a job at Danielle in New York, and I came up to New York, uh... So
1: you were in Atlanta?
2: Right out of school, went down to Atlanta, and spent about four years there.
1: Four years, and then... How did your chef send you to Danielle? Did he say it's time for you to go, go um, on? I
2: was looking. I, it was a mutual thing. I was kind of like, hey, okay, I've been here for working for you for about a year and a half or so. I, mean, I can't recall. Maybe it was even a little longer than that. And, um, you know, he often spoke about how he would personally knew Danielle and John George and all the big names. You know, half of which I don't know is true or not. But he sure talked the game that he knew all these guys. And, you know, and back then it was Greg Koontz was the other big one. And so I was like, hey, do you ever think you could get me there? And so and it was that simple. I mean, he picked up the and it turned out he did know some of them. So uh, he literally called uh, Danielle or, or I guess back then, uh, was it Alex Lee?
1: Alex Lee, yeah. Yeah, it
2: was still the chef de cuisine back then. And he talked to him and, uh, you know, essentially it was like, okay, good. This is actually a pretty good story because so I'm told I have a job at Danielle. I say, fantastic, I do all the proper things, I put in whatever, three-week notice, four-week notice, I go and find a place to, I'm going to find a place to live, do all this. I'm literally moving to New York City for the first time in my life, been in New York once, you know, before that, uh, and... Luckily, I had a friend here that I grew up with, uh, one of those guys that went off and got their MBA and were making lots of money in New York. Um, so I was lucky enough that he I had a place to stay, and, and that was a really good thing. But so, anyways, the funny story is that I show up at on the back, uh, you know, employee entrance of Danielle's kitchen, knock on the door, I ask for Alex, Alex, uh, you know, finally comes out and gets me. I, for anyone who's ever been in Danielle's kitchen, he's got the, whatever they call it, the crow's nest or whatever. The sky box. The sky box. And Alex asked me to come up there. I've never met Danielle yet. And uh, and he was very nice at first. You know, He was like, okay, hi, how you doing? I'm like, hi, hey, chef, nice to meet you. And then they asked me to wait, wait downstairs in the kitchen. So I'm standing there, and I basically uh, hear them... Arguing amongst each other, like where the f are you going to put this guy? We don't have a position for him. I don't know why you took him. And he's like, well, come on, you said that you knew Joel from it, and they're going back and forth. I literally have picked up my entire life and moved to New York City, and <laughs> thinking of what I had a job. Wow. And they're going back and forth, back and forth, and
1: um, well, how to make you feel real good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm,
2: I'm. I think I don't know. I was 25, I think, or something. I can't remember. I was, I was still pretty young and a little naive, so I was getting pretty nervous. So, anyways, so the story gets better. So, that second of all people, George Perrier walks through the door. He's in town doing something. I have no okay. idea what. And
1: from Philadelphia. Yeah, from and Philadelphia. You know him because you're a Pennsylvanian. And
2: well, he knew me because of Joelle through a whole another thing. We did wow. a dinner together. We did whatever. So, I, okay.
1: So, for our listeners, George yeah, Perrier sorry, I'm has le bec in. Uh, Philadelphia, such a revered restaurant. They named a street after Georges Perrier, so yeah, and legendary. He's quite a character, so yeah. Well, Very this classic French chef.
2: This character got me a job, because what Perrier. happened? Yeah, because he walks in the door, he's uh, you know, Danielle and Danielle here are go yucking it up in French, back and forth, back and forth, and I just somehow for whatever and got my enough gumption up and like Chef Perrier. I'm Clay Miller. I met you at Joelle's. And he's like, oh, my God, you're from Joel's Joelle, He's the best chef in there. Oh, my God, he's incredible. Daniel, you hired this guy? You're okay. He comes from such a great kitchen. And Daniel, I swear to you, he may not tell you this story or remember this, but he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, you start today. And I swear to you that's a trick. Like and even Alex Lee's looking at me kind of like, I'm, holy shit, you got to be kidding me. Like, all right. Good for you, kid. You're, you're so hired. Where
1: did,
2: they, where did they put you? Uh, I started, I was on TA for uh, a fish station. The, the story goes, though, uh, to be quite honest with you, I didn't last at Danielle's. I quit after four months. Why? Uh, because I came from this other kitchen what I was speaking about before, this smaller kitchen. Um, back in the day, Danielle, that, that was in its newer stages. There had only been open about six months or whatever, and it was a tough tough kitchen. Um, he runs was, a
1: tight, tough kitchen. Well, he runs a very high, I mean, there's a lot of it um, was, testosterone in that they,
2: kitchen. Well, back then, I think, honestly, and I totally understand it now. It's like back then, I think he was still trying to get his arms around it because it was a big event, you know, venture from where he had, where he had come from. And, and so there was just some things that I, you know, I moved all the way to New York and, and, you know, I just didn't, I don't know, I wasn't feeling that kitchen, I talked with Alex uh, about it, and he and I, you know, they asked me to stay on, and I tried it for a little bit more, and and uh, eventually came to the part where I said, "Look, I'll give you as much time as you want, but I, I need to move on." and and uh, I had a very good relationship with Alex. Alex was very graceful about it. He, he even said if I needed to, re- you know, make some calls for me or whatever, he just knew it wasn't a good fit. Right. And so I moved on, and, and that happens. Where
1: did, yeah, where, where did you go from there?
2: Uh, I was lucky enough to land uh, with Floyd Cardoz. Oh. Over at Tabla. Uh-huh. And I finished out my year in New York at, at Tabla, so, uh-huh. uh, which was.
1: How did you make that connection, and why Tabla?
2: Uh again I hate to say go back and going back to Joel, but there was a connection between Joel, Gray Koontz, and then Gray Koontz and Floyd uh, you know, worked together. I think I Le uh, Penas, uh, Floyd was Gray's Sue, I believe, back right. back in those days. And um, isn't it funny? I mean, the small world and all that stuff, and, and the, the the whole family and fraternity of cooks and so on, and especially back then, and I'm sure it is still here today, but the, the fraternity of French chefs in New York and so on. So uh, I landed in with him, and i got to say this about Floyd. He's got to be by far the, one of the nicest individuals I've ever worked for. I mean, back then, and I was such a... <laughs> I was such an arrogant dickhead. I, I just, I just, I, I thought I was the best thing around. And I, I got into that kitchen. I walked right in, and I was hired to be the tour for the kitchen. And so I was, you know, part of my job was to kind of, well, one to work all the stations and help train people and what have you. And so I was kind of the lead guy in the kitchen. And, and I, they said I acted like that way. <laughs> and uh, Floyd. I don't know, he he kept me in check, but did it in a way that it wasn't deflating to me. And, and uh, many years later, I kind of looked back, and, and many, it was about four or five years, now, I don't know, whatever, several years later, he came in and he uh, ate at a restaurant that I finally was an executive chef at. And I was like, one of the first things I said to him, I was like, I probably owe you probably more apologies than any cook before. And he just started laughing. He's like, are you kidding? Like, he just he, he just started laughing. So... Uh, anyway, so I finished out my time with Floyd and, and really enjoyed that time there because made a lot of good friends there, still guys that uh, I'm in touch with today, you know, and this is over 10 years ago, and um, whenever I see Floyd, I still, you know, obviously I still have a good relationship with him, and I, it was just good to see that slightly different cuisine, you know, and really taking some other ingredients and things that, even though it was very...
1: So, uh, so I'm sitting here, and we've talked about French Laundry, and we talked about Danielle, we've got... Tabla, which is Indian, you know, modern day you know, interpretation of India from like, where did you get your southern cooking
2: from? That's common. That's <laughs> common. common. Right. <laughs> it's That's common. Uh, so I uh, basically, uh, after New York, went back down to Atlanta. Um, I'm going to, I'll kind of speed things a little far. I went back down to Atlanta again. Believe it or not, I've moved to Atlanta at this point, I think, four times <laughs> in my life. Anyways, moved back down to Atlanta, did another year with the, with the Ritz Carlton, went out to the laundry, came back. And my first executive chef position, or excuse me, chef cuisine position was with Gunther Seeger, full now, uh, the circle of life.
1: Oh, so you went to his restaurant? Then-
2: yeah, many years. This was many years later. Um, and this was definitely a pivotal time in my life because uh, this is the first only job I've ever been fired from. Um, I was fired after four months of being, uh, four or five months, whatever it was, I don't remember. And it, it was kind of a mutual firing, how we'll put it that way. It was... We just did not get along at all, and um, and he, uh, like I said, it was kind of in a way you got yourself fired, you know, so it wasn't, it wasn't a complete shocking thing, but again, it was still a tra- uh, traumatic time in my career, um, that feeling of having, you know, essentially no income, you know, I mean, I know everyone, a lot of people experience that, but it was the first time in my adult life, and so it's something that lives with me still this day, and... and um, was it...
1: So you had a disagreement and... Multiple and disagreements. Multiple, yeah, okay. So can't you as a chef just pick up and go to the next restaurant?
2: You can try. I mean, it took me about three months to find a job. I mean, I literally was the classic 26, 27. No, I was a little older than that. I was probably about 28, 29, something like that. And, uh, I, you know, I had to go live with mom and dad for a month or two because, uh, you know, I looked for a job and... And this is where a little bit more of my Southern kind of came into. Uh, I had a guy give me a call who probably was one of my, uh, I'll say probably one of my mentors. But what I learned from him uh, is more than cooking, it was the business side of the of the restaurant business. And his name was uh, Carl Bruggemeyer. Uh, Carl was a old school restaurant guy. I mean, he was, he, you know, ran Commander's Palace. He ran... Tavern on the Green with with Warner. I mean, this well, guy these, old these school. These are
1: like Cecil B. DeMille. Yeah, like, <laughs> like you know the
2: type of guy that like you know smoked two packs a day and drank, you know two gallons of coffee and could run a you know twenty million dollar restaurant out of a broom closet and and write his business plan on a napkin you know and and but just that old school gritty kind of guy and in any case he gave me a call and at the time he was the business partner with. Norman Van
1: Aken.
2: Oh, at Uh, Norman's down in Miami? Norman's down in Miami. And uh, they were in the process of growing their business, and they had a deal, again, with Ritz-Carlton to do Norman's in Orlando. Mm -hmm. And my resume kind of came around their way. I'm not even sure how it actually got done. I I think it was honestly through a... uh, a purveyor, actually. By the way, for any uh, young cooks, you want a great networking tool. Purveyors, purveyors, purveyors. Yeah. I, 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 the, right. It's gotten me multiple jobs. Uh, okay. You know. So, Anyway, so I ended up, you know, fast forward a little bit, I ended up uh, getting the job with Norman. Um, and I went down to Florida and I opened uh, Norman's Orlando um, as the chef cuisine and, and whatever slash executive chef. Um, and was there for about six, seven years, and, and you know, so I was, um, and the cuisine there over time changed uh, a little bit, but essentially it was Norman's food, and so I was, I was immersed into his world of cuisine for those uh, number so, of years.
1: that was Caribbean, what, what was it, Yeah, huh? I mean,
2: he's kind of got a, I don't want to say all over the place, it's not that at all, but it's definitely got a lot of influences from around the world, mostly, uh, you know, from the, from the islands, South, uh, South, South America, Florida, South yeah. Florida, even Southern uh, you know, America, you know, all along the panhandle and, and so on. And so a lot of, uh, you know, African influences as well because of the, you know, uh, all the cuisine that comes from the islands and so on. So there's a, a big mix of uh, different ingredients, uh, different way of looking at some food and so on, the way they do, you know, a simple uh, I don't know, I'm trying to think of something really simple that you know the use of rice and beans I mean come on everyone uses rice and beans but you know they do it a little bit different and so on so I was definitely exposed to a lot of different things during that during my time there. um also during that time frame because Orlando wasn't the main flagship restaurant for the uh, Norman Van Aiken's company at the time. I was often left by myself, if you will, like to run the business, not in a bad way, but just, you know, I was in charge of running that business while they were headquartered in Miami. And so that put me in the forefront of learning a lot about the other things of of the business, of being respected. And by the time I left, there was actually director manager. Directing manager of the uh, whole property, so I oversaw the front of the house, back of the house, and so I was exposed to a lot more things that it, uh, most chefs don't. How many get. years
1: outside of school are you now? At
2: this point, I'm. I got the job when I was 32. Um, left there when I was, whatever I guess about 38, uh, something like that.
1: So this is the real maturing of the chef that you have to go through. Mm-hmm. A lot of these, a lot of different kitchens to see different styles, learn different... If
2: products. you really, at this point, if you really think about it, I'm th- by the time I got my... This is really essentially my first executive position, because I don't really count Seeger's. That wasn't much of a, a, a tour there, but so, I, and I'm age 32, and basically been waiting for this job since, if you count college... 13, 14 years before I got my first executive and that's a, that's a combination of education and experience through all of that um, before I did it and um, you know, like say and then I was just I was still an employee I was just an executive chef there it wasn't wasn't clays or anything like that and, and um, uh, so after a number of years there I uh, had an opportunity to finally take my first chance at ownership. Um, and yeah,
1: well, we're gonna take a break here. And we'll get into that's a very big step for. Listening to Chef's Story, and I'm Dorothy can Hamilton. And today our chef is Chef Clayton Miller, Clay Miller, who is the executive chef at Yardbird Southern Bar and Table. And um, in Miami, I should point that out. Yeah, I know we down. have listeners in 200 uh, countries. So, Miami, uh, Miami Beach, or Miami?
2: Yes, uh, South Beach.
1: South Beach.
2: Yeah.
1: As I said, I'm still waiting to go down there this this winter. <laughs> You yeah, wait. Wait you see I, this. I, I can't wait. Okay, let's get into let's get into your first step of ownership, and now we're gonna. Move yeah, on. this
2: is so. Um, I found an opportunity to become not only executive chef but ex, uh, owner, and more importantly for me, outside of even the ownership, I was the chef. There was no other, and this is, I don't mean this in a negative at all. There was no Norman Van Eck, and there was no Gunther Seeger. There was no. Thomas Keller, uh there was Clay Miller and that was it as far as from the cooking side.
1: So you had carte blanche to do what yeah, you wanted Yeah, This this is you finally ship your way.
2: Yeah, and, and like I said, you really look at it at this point I'm pushing the age of I'm like thirty eight. Um that it finally took me to do all this and and um and so I ended up at a restaurant uh with a group called uh Trummers on Main in Clifton, Virginia. Um, and we're just outside of D.C. We're about, say, 25 minutes outside of D.C. in Northern Virginia, and um, it was a family, the Trummers. They were they had bought a piece of property in this small little sleepy town, um, that they were gutting it, renovating it in this really old historic building. Um, it's just like. It's just, it looks like honestly some this little town looks like some out of like Norman Rockwell because it's like all around it's this oasis in the middle of all this population because all around it is just tons of population and growth and so on, but it was, it was preserved because of all the historical uh, importance due to the Civil War and things like that. It was the first train stop outside of DC and all this like important stuff. So it was left intact. So they had this building there, and they were gutting it, and um, they needed a chef and uh, to help them with it and help run it and so on, and so I took a chance and moved north, um, left Normans, and helped them, you know, create this place and this business, and um, we, in the first year, this so we opened in uh, 2009, the summer of 2009, um, and this was probably one of the I don't know, most memorable parts of my career was uh, in 2010. Um, I don't know, six, seven months after opening, I get a phone call. I remember still this day I was searing short ribs. Um, and someone says, you know, chef, phone. And, you know, one of those, like, oh, son of a bitch. Because I, mean, I got four pans going, <laughs> searing, you know, thing. I'm right, like, fine, fine, I'll be there. And, uh, uh, they also said, uh, they didn't say who it was, and, but I walk up to the phone and there's, there's a, whatever, called, caller ID on it, and it says American Express on it, and I have an American Express, so I didn't think anything of it, I'm just like, all right, geez, I know I'm up to date on my bill, I don't you know, and so I, I answer the phone, and, and um, the voice in the other line said, you know, hi Clay, it's Dana uh, from Food and Wine, and... Again, I'm like, so what? Yeah,
0: Dana, <laughs> yeah.
1: Okay.
2: yeah, yeah, you know, and sure enough, uh, it was Dana Cohen, and, you know, she quickly said, you know, do you have a second? And I'm like, of course. It's still really not hitting into me what's, what's about to happen, um, because I, I remember even for a split second, I'm thinking it's one of my buddies messing with me, like, got their wife or girlfriend on the phone, because they've done that to me in the ah. past. And I'm still thinking that way and still kind of, and she goes, well, listen, I want to let you know you're selected as one of America's Best New Chefs for 2010. And I'm still, like, going, sure, whatever. And then I'm like... For they, drummers or for, for... This is at Trummers on Main."
1: Trummers. Yeah. So it wasn't for Nor- No. Uh, no. Oh, this okay. Is, so they had... They had I mean, how I long just, had you been at Trummers?
2: That's uh, Seven months we opened.
1: Wow. And so in the first so seven months. So really, for them to pick you on the, on such a short time to do your menu and get your team and yeah, everything. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, wow. I, I was
2: very, I'm very proud of this to this day. And yeah. um, so it was just a, it was a, a really big deal to me. And my first time out, you know, I'm, I'm age 38 before I've, anyone's even heard my name before. You so know. What,
1: what kind of food were you doing?
2: Um, I couldn't come up with any good description, so I, I came up with a very original term, modern American. <laughs> uh, you know, I couldn't... It was the best way what that I What was your could. menu like? Um, it was a little bit all over the place, not but not too bad. I mean, it was definitely just... I've always described the food, at least there, as... American is probably the biggest thing, you know. uh, I wanted approachable food. I wanted food and flavor that people understood, but done slightly different. You weren't going to be shocked by it when you got it, but in the same time, you were still going to be able to identify with it. That the flavors, I'm trying to think back. You know, I simple uh, pairings that everyone does, but like whether you're putting goat cheese and beets together, you're putting uh mint and lamb together you're doing you know nothing classic things but done in a different way but people can understand it because they're classic uh, flavors um so that was kind of like uh the food we weren't doing tasting menus we weren't doing you know uh like the average check was you know probably Forty bucks. So this
1: is the first time you really get to do it your way, yeah. and seven months later, you picked as one of the best new chefs in America. You yeah. got to, you got to be on the cloud nine.
2: Yeah, it was. Uh, it took a, it took some time to set in. It really did. Um,
1: and then, how did you get to Yoder? Because we're actually. Yeah, sorry. I, I, I can't believe we're almost. <laughs> um,
2: I um, spent, I spent about three years with uh, Trummers. Uh, there was a good experience. There, a good family. I'm still consider my friends. Um, we decided uh, we had a different view on business. Um, I'll leave it at that. But that being said, I still, they're dear friends to me. Um, and I decided to take a chance. A friend of mine, uh, actually my pastry chef from Trummers had moved on and started working for the Michael Mina group uh, at Four Seasons Baltimore. I ended up there for a year as the executive chef of the property. And then, so here comes Yardbird. All right, so uh, last uh, May, early May, uh, I did an event in Atlanta, the Atlanta Food and Wine Festival, and I run into what is now, or who, uh, who's my boss right now, uh, Eddie Acevedo, uh, that uh, I just run into him in the lobby of the hotel. He's the. turns out he's the chief operating officer for 50X um and we worked together under norman van Aken many years earlier he was the general manager i was the executive chef and directing manager and at one time or another we kind of played around talked about oh one of these days we'll do a business together kind of thing we i went off to virginia he went his way i went my way whatever many years later we bump into each other in the middle of a lobby at a food and wine convention and um so we just started talking and we hit it off right where we, we left off from and you know, I said, you know, I'm I'm just doing I'm up in Baltimore right now and it's, it's a job for me, but I'm really interested in looking to get back down south. I miss Florida. Um, I you know, my wife was from Florida and those those multiple reasons. I really grew to to uh, I guess love Florida and I really wanted to get back down there whether that was to Orlando or Miami or Tampa, anyway. I just wanna get back down there and um, he's like well you know funny you should say that we're we got some things going right now and and he started talking to me about Yardbird and said that we're um, possibly looking for a new chef and um, and I said well great you know let's talk and and um, I had a couple other things in the fire at the time but uh, you know Eddie and I like said because of our past connection we we just clicked Uh, a month later, I'm moving to, F- to Florida, you know, and and so and that's now it's been eight weeks that I've been down there. Um, so
1: what's menu like? Uh,
2: there's a lot of I'm I'm still in the process of changing a lot of the food over from the you know, I'm obviously not the opening chef. The opening chef had, had decided to move on um, to try something new. Um, you know, a lot of the they did a really good job for the first two years there and really turned it into a great business. And um, I'm in the process of trying to put my mark on the menu. Um, But it is Southern fare. And, you know, I mean, probably we sell the hell out of some fried chicken. I mean... uh, How do you do the fried chicken? Oh, fried chicken, fried chicken. Yeah, Yeah,
1: I mean, you know... It's the uh, best thing, When done well is the best thing
2: in the world. No, not it lousy. is. No, <laughs> you know, but, No, it's satisfying yeah, to your yeah, soul. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, right. that's why everyone loves it so much. Right. And, it, and it, it's not a hard thing to make, but when you're cooking 2,000 pounds of it a week, it becomes challenging in a small kitchen. I, I, what
1: kind
2: of oil? Uh, we actually use lard uh, for it. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. So, which we're, you know, great debate on that one. Which one's worse for you, lard or, or you know, the... Classic fry on that everyone yeah. else does the great debate of which one's healthier and so on. So
1: I think when you're eating fried chicken, you don't think it is. Healthy. It's
2: one of, well, it's one of those things. Yeah, exactly. You're not when you're eating a piece of foie gras, you're not asking for a skim foie gras. You know, yeah. you're, you're going for foie gras. Um. Anyways, yeah. No, they had uh, this restaurant. I keep waiting to bring a visiting chef into my kitchen and just not see his eyes pop out of his head because when you see the size of this kitchen and then you start hearing the numbers that we do, you know, we
1: so tell me the numbers.
2: Uh, we receive chicken four to five times a week at, at a pace of 400 pounds of delivery. Um, we have a walk-in cooler that's smaller than your your office. Um, for those who you who aren't here, yeah. well I, don't, I won't give away your dimensions of your <laughs> office. Uh, you mean the closet? Yeah, the closet. <laughs> uh, and so that's a real challenge but they, you know, as I walked into the picture, that the team had already kind of established a lot of protocols and things to make that happen. They have a they have a, uh, a deep uh, fryer that's pre- a pressure deep fryer. That's got this thing done to a science, so it's consistent every single time. You know, oh. you know, it's 14 minutes. You get the same product, the same time, because it's specked out at the same thing. The brine's done the same way, and so on. So it's this machine. It's a real, real formula to it to to create something that's so consistent. And then to the other food, you know, and and what's funny too, that's probably like. 30 40 percent of our sales is fries fried chicken i mean people obviously just come for that the rest of the menu is is a spin-off of classic uh southern fare you know just with some twists and and turns from other parts of the country and so on but um definitely some you know some southern fare and and um we're trying with with also kind of that modern touch on it too You know, trying, and and I'm I'm so new to the property. I'm still doing a lot of my research, still trying to develop things. Who's who's your
1: customer? Are they tourists or are they locals?
2: Or good question. I mean, it's my understanding when the place opened up, which I was not there for, it was a lot more local, a lot more. People around the beach and, and a little bit further out, a little further north, up into you know Fort Lauderdale and so on. But as it grew, the uh, the the tourists it's we're probably pushing fifty fifty um, right now. And, and it's such a strange, unique. And when I say strange, I mean in a good way. Like where your latest your pop in the night, like your your push in 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 the middle of service, isn't eight o'clock. It's ten thirty. Wow. You know, it's like <laughs> your you know your crews, everyone. In the, you're cruising along. You've already been through service for five hours or whatever it is, and you've already done 400 covers. And then all of a sudden, you're like, "Oh boy, we we just sat the dining room again." And it's 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night, and your board goes from two tickets to 30 tickets, and it's and it's religiously like that. I mean, it's just nonstop, and it's just, and and it's because of the type of customer. You get the locals that come in early, that are here, that know us. We know them, and so on. And then you got a lot that later crowd that's all on vacation. They don't care tomorrow's Tuesday. They're here to have fun, right. you know. And so we're here to provide that for them. So, um, it, cool. so it makes yeah. a great dynamic of customer, um, which allows us to do a good business.
1: Well, thank you. I think I can't. Forty-five minutes just flew by. Yeah. It's really nice to have you here. Thank you for and having me. We haven't me. met before. This has really been fascinating. <laughs> I appreciate it. I can't wait to get my teeth into that fried chicken.
2: Yeah, looking forward to having you down.
1: Okay. Oh, cool. yeah. So you're at the Southern Food and I mean not the Southern, but the New York Food and Wine Festival yep. this weekend. Yeah, yeah we so have where, a couple events. Where are you doing the events?
2: Uh, we're over as Pier 17, I believe. Mm-hmm. We're doing the Fried Chicken Coop. Uh, I believe myself and a handful of other chefs from around New York That'd and a fun. few other. Or we're all going to be kind of.
1: Did you bring your lard?
2: Uh, no, we didn't. We didn't bring that. We we're going to have to. Uh, Sources.
1: Yeah, we're so
2: well. We're literally as soon as I leave here, I'm going to grocery shopping. Oh, where are so, you going to do that? Uh, all over. We have a few friends in the area too that did a little ordering for us, you know, because I gotta get, I gotta make 600 biscuits by uh, what was it's by Friday, so I got a lot of flour to find, and uh, we got some chicken being shipped in, and we gotta get chicken brined and so on. So we got a few things to do for that for that event, and then Sunday our sister restaurant uh, Kong River House which is uh, Northern Thai which is down in South Beach as well uh, is doing an event uh, at Budokan oh. as well so yeah, the the 50 Eggs brand we have uh, a couple different uh,
1: how, many, how many restaurants
2: we have currently technically four and we are very aggressively pursuing six and seven uh, or I should say five and six uh, but yeah, we have uh, we have Yardbird we have Kong River House and we have Swine I'll let you figure out what figure out what swine are all about. And I said, and and then, like I said, I'm a, the the company's growing, and um, ultimately, I'll hopefully be kind of helping drive the business and, and on all fronts. That's great. Uh, so. Well,
1: it's been wonderful to have you here today. You're a busy man.
2: Yeah, gotta let
1: you go. You get on top of it.
2: Yeah, I got some chicken to fry.
1: Yeah, you do. <laughs> well, thanks a lot, and thanks for listening. Uh, it's Dorothy Can Hamilton. I want to do a shout-out to Jack Inslee and Robin Cohen, our producers, and we'll see you next time.
0: Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes Store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio.